0: everyone, and welcome to the Pivot Podcast. Each week, join career coaches and Pivot Discovery co-founders Alexandra Balestrieri and Kimberly Tilley as they interview an extraordinary and inspiring guest who successfully pivoted away from unfulfilling work to pursue their dreams. Benefit from their insight and experience and leave with actionable tips to reframe your future. Welcome to this week's episode of the Pivot Podcast. My name is Alexandra Balestrary, and I'm here with my co host and Pivot Discovery co founder, Kimberly Tilly. Our guest today is Rena Friedman Watts. Rena's work history involves everything from a production media manager to a stringer. Today, she is a marketing specialist and host of the Better Call Daddy podcast. Welcome, Rena. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So, well, you've held so many different types of jobs throughout your career, and you are actually our very first guest that has come out of the television industry. You have an impressive background. Could you give our listeners a one-minute overview of some of the things that you've done?
1: I started off at an NPR station at Purdue and worked in radio for a couple years, which then led me to interviewing at WGN in Chicago. I didn't end up getting a job there, but while I was interviewing in Chicago, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. They had a flyer in the same courtyard. So I walked across the courtyard, told them I had an interview with the intern coordinator, got through security, and ended up starting at Jerry Springer two weeks later.
2: Wow. So you just sort of phrased into that out by telling them that you already had an interview?
1: That's how that works pre-9-11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I started at Jerry Springer, worked there for a little over two seasons.
2: We would love to hear a story or two about the Jerry Springer show if you want
1: to share one. One that is super memorable was I got like a couple hundred bucks petty cash and was told to go entertain them for the day. I took some guests to Navy Pier where you can go on boat rides into the middle of the lake. This was pre-cell phone. All I had was a pager and I'm gallivanting, you know, taking them on a double-decker bus and sightseeing and then we're in the middle of Lake Michigan and then I get paged that I need to be back at the studio immediately. And I'm like (laughs) wrangling up the guests I'm like, ah, I can't even call them. I thought for sure that was going to be the end of my job. I definitely got a talking to, but everything was good, and that was the last boat trip I took in the middle of Lake Michigan.
2: (laughs) Or how long were you at the Jerry Springer show?
1: So I was there for a little over two years. I started off as an intern that was entertaining the guests, pretty much helping out with show day, like getting them through wardrobe and making sure that they were to the studio on time, making sure that So all their meals were handled, making sure that they were where they were supposed to be and that the guests were taken care of. And then from there, I also started listening to the associate producers on the phone and how they started booking guests. And I'm like, I could totally do that. So they started putting me on the phone and seeing if I could. And then I started booking stories. I jumped from intern to associate producer in a couple of months. So basically that's like from zero to $50,000 in a couple of months really good. And that was right out of college too. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) I'm moving to the Gold Coast, baby. (laughs) (laughs) After being an associate producer for a full season, you got the opportunity to try to produce your own show. A few associate producers got a stab at that. So I produced my own show. It was so crazy. I had my own production assistant and another associate producer few of the producers, you know, were on standby, like if you needed help. I produced one show and it went really well. And then they gave me an opportunity to produce another one. And then I got promoted to be a producer that next season. So it was pretty much intern to producer in about eight months. And I produced a whole nother season, the season opener to a third season. One of my guests came up to me and said, after that season opener show, how can you live with yourself?
2: You live with yourself? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I will never forget those words because, you know, when I was right out of college, for me, it was the opportunity to work in television. It was, you know, a decent sized check. It was living in a big city. It was managing a budget, pitching executives, all of those things. And I never really thought about the content of the show so much or whether I was ruining people's Mm -hmm. lives or whether I was manipulating people or any of that
2: really like a heavy thing to put on somebody to feel like you've you've ruined somebody's life by producing this tv show
1: it's funny because before they go out on the stage we would say things like this is the jerry springer show there's no happy endings here like you know there's no kumbaya that was part of the speech we're like no kumbayas you know so just so you know you're not coming here to hear good news you know (laughs) but we definitely pit people against each other and pushed their buttons in order for them to say things in a certain way and for the story to unfold the way that it did
2: do you remember what the season opener was about I don't.
1: It was a family story. I remember that. And most most of the stories are that. Um, some of the best stories were like hate your mates. I'd be like a mother that hates a son's girlfriend or a son's wife. Some of those were even fiery than more fiery than the cheating stories. That emotion can really go far.
2: Yeah. I mean, there and there are a lot of stories like that, but it seems very crazy for somebody to come up to you and feel like it's personally your fault. I mean, they, they did choose to come on that show and talk about that. But I can also see why it really hurt.
1: After hearing that many stories for that long of a time, I was starting to feel like, okay, like, is everyone cheating? Like, is this <laughs> going to be my world? And so I literally had zero backup plan and I quit and I took the white box and I packed up my stuff. And that was that. It was a hard little transition because I went from working literally around the clock, like 90 to 100 hour weeks to not working, you know? And I was like, what do I want to do now? I have no idea. So I applied for like, sales jobs and I applied to work at ad agencies because ad agencies are big in Chicago. I applied to work at Oprah, but I heard she didn't hire Springer producers. There <laughs> wasn't a whole lot of other TV jobs in Chicago. So I was like, what am but I going to You wanted do? to stay in TV though. Well, that was all I knew. At that point, right? I'd worked right. in radio in college for a couple of years and then I had this television production job, and I was like, well, it got me into the producers' guild. And that led me out to LA, where I worked as an executive assistant. Then I had to start all over. Essentially, I took a executive assistant role to three pretty seasoned producers in LA, and they ran a special effects animation company. And I was doing accounts payable and receivable and SAG contracts and overseeing location agreements and the business side of things which I knew nothing about. So that was a good education there. They were working with studios like Disney and the Cartoon Network. That, that was just a whole new world to me. And then going to Producers Guild events and finding out about internal posting. So I ended up getting a job at Nanny 911 through a Producers Guild posting. I applied to this guy for like a year straight. And I think I drove him completely nuts. And he was like, oh, I finally have an opportunity to give you a shot. Third shift as a post-production supervisor. I was like, sounds great. When do I start? You know, <laughs> <laughs> worked in LA on a series of reality shows. Worked as a field interviewer, worked as an associate editor, post-production supervisor. What were some of the shows you worked on? I worked on a VH1 show. It was called Motor Mouth. It was where one person nominated another person that they knew The person that they brought along was supposed to be driving around in a vehicle, listening to music and giving us market research about the music. But the person who roped their friend in had already told us their favorite music. So it was one of these car karaoke shows where if you listen to an entire CD of all your favorite songs, you're obviously going to sing in the car. The person drove around and they were supposed to listen to the CD and give us feedback. And then the person who nominated them got in the car and they had a challenge where they had to get them to get out of the car and dance or sing to the person in the drive through or they had a task. The car was rigged with cameras. That was a really fun show. I was a field interviewer and I got to go to like six different cities and interview the people before and after. So that was a lot of fun. And that sounds really fun. And then I worked on another show called kill reality, where it was a bunch of reality stars from other shows, and they lived in a house together. And they got an opportunity to star in a B movie. So they filmed the inside of them living together inside the house. And then they filmed them creating this movie that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what was the movie? Oh, my God. I don't even remember the name of the movie. I'd have to look it up. But the reality show part was called Kill Reality. I was on the reality show side. I was a field interviewer. And that was crazy, too. The producers aren't really supposed to be in the house unless there's like drama going on. But there was some, there was like a big moment that was getting ready to happen, like a proposal. I wanted to interview him right before it happened. But they got back sooner than I realized they were going to get back. And I was in the house and all the cameras came through and I was in the way was like mortified. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm just gonna get totally chewed out. I still feel bad about that to this day. (laughs) Don't feel too bad about it. It would (laughs) have been great
2: if you could have gotten like a cameo role in the B movie or something like that. I don't know if you would have liked that, but that would have been really fun.
1: (laughs) Occasionally, I've gotten caught on camera. I mean, even when guests run backstage, you know, and you're back there watching it happen, and then you're dodging to try to get out of the way. Did the movie ever come out that they were filming? Yeah, I'm sure it was like a direct-to-DVD or something. (laughs) Was this your last role on reality TV? Nanny 911 was. I worked in many capacities and then met my husband third shift while I was working at Nanny 911. Had a mommy chapter for maybe three years, four years. When my kids were in preschool, I kind of inched my way back into working in television again, doing research for court TV. So while they were in preschool, I literally would nurse my kid in the car, drop the kid off with a babysitter, and I would go to court, go through all the small claims cases, find good stories, and then upload those stories to the producer in LA. So I did that for about five seasons.
2: How does that work? Do you just go to the courthouse and you just ask, can I take a look at these cases that are in? Well,
1: you have to have permission, but- It is public record. So if you can prove that you're with the show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I had a
1: letter from the show and I had to get clearance and then um, I just had access to all of the files. So if you file a small claims case, people can go through that and get all your information. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) So I would try to get in with the clerks and find out when new cases were there and try to beat out other shows, trying to get to the cases and I got a wand scanner where I would just scan the cases so I could go home and upload them. Like there were some people handwriting the cases. I'm like, oh, well, our show's going to call first, right?
2: Wow. Well, I didn't realize that there was competition being able to to break the
1: story. Oh yeah. There's so many court TV shows and they're all trying to get the cases in major cities. There's stringers all across the nation. <laughs> so you want to be there honestly before they're even entered into the system (laughs) you know what I mean like you want to get them as soon as they're dropped off so you want to hang out there for a little bit
2: so that's why you wanted to have some friends at the courthouse who would let you know when something good was coming in
1: oh I had the clerk's cell phone numbers in my phone (laughs) I would call them I'm like is today a good day to drive an hour to court because some of these courthouses were a ways away and I'm like if I'm driving all the way there I want to make sure there's a stack
0: did you ever bump into other stringers that were- Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. Like,
1: Oh, I know you're trying to get that case, but I'm going to get it first. If they were at the filing cabinet, I would go to where people are filling out their cases and I would pick them out of the basket.
0: Oh, so you would have
1: like first dibs. I don't even think other people, well, I, I don't even know if I should admit to that, but like, I don't even <laughs> know if other people were bold enough to try that trick, but I was in with a bunch of the clerks.
2: That is so great.
1: (laughs) It is really great. (laughs) How long
2: were you at Court TV?
1: I did that for about five seasons. I worked on Judge Alex. I worked on a hot bench. I worked a little bit on divorce court. What did you do
2: after that then?
1: Then I went from being a television producer to a event producer where I was planning corporate lunch and learns. My husband got a job at a voiceover IP company, and he was bragging about me at some company function. They ended up creating a new role for me. It was a program manager, which was very loosely defined, but they needed help with marketing. They needed help with customer outreach. They needed help with corporate lunch and learn type of stuff. I was there about a year and a half, and I really wanted mentorship in that role. And I tried to seek it out. I went out to coffee with a woman director a couple of times and there was a role on her team and I really looked up to her. I felt like she was super successful and just more hands-on. And I was working for the subsidiary and a lot of people were remote and I just felt like communication wasn't good on the team. And so I reached out to her. I was like, hey, I was like, do you think I could make an internal like move? I'm not even looking for more pay. I just kind of want to be mentored more and to understand the role better. You know, it's been very yeah. choose your own adventure. So she tried to talk to the CEO of the subsidiary that I was working for. And he was like, you know, everything that you're looking for on that team, we could make happen on our team. And I was like, okay. And then I tried to navigate it with HR and that was a bad idea. And then.
2: <laughs> not want you to Was that the deal with him?
1: That was the deal in the beginning. But then when I tried to ask for mentorship, he tried to say, maybe you shouldn't report directly to me. Maybe you should report to this other team member. And so I went from reporting to the CEO to reporting to a colleague who was thrown into management overnight and didn't want to necessarily be my manager. And we were collaborating (laughs) to her then being my manager. And it just went really south. And then I got fired because... I think really of just kind of like making noise that I wanted to be in a different role. So that sucked. But then I got a job at a financial firm that was closer to home and had commission opportunity, which was great because I was good at getting people through the door and good at selling. So not only did I have the same base, but then I got commission. So I liked that because then my earning potential went up. So I did that for a little bit. Then I was approached by someone that we put an event on with, and he said that he wanted to partner with me and then he wanted to work with me and not my boss. And then I was like, hmm, interesting interesting.
2: Good for your self-esteem. I don't know how good it would be for your relationship with your boss.
1: Right. So it wasn't good for the relationship with me and my boss, but it did then propel me to entrepreneurship because I was like, well, my phone's the one that's ringing. I've now put on the last five events. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, maybe I should get licensed. Maybe I should try this. But then I went into business with somebody who was a shark. We ended up putting on an event together. He flew me out to Orange County. I filled up the room, did all the marketing, and then he ended up cutting me out of commissions. So I was like, ooh, welcome to entrepreneurship. Yeah, that was pretty... That was a tough pill to swallow, and then I had to get a little bit more choosy on who I worked with. Oh, I also, around that time, had reconnected with somebody that I put on an event with through my old company. She was like, oh, you're not working there anymore? I'd love to work with you. I ended up working on a Gary V event, doing sponsorships with her, and that was cool, because then I was like, oh, another avenue. I never thought about doing sponsorships. And then I realized it's a big pain point that not everybody can do that. So I successfully booked a couple sponsors for her event, made some commission. then I was like, ooh, not only can I make commission doing this, I can charge a retainer for doing this. So then I started working with some other entrepreneurs. Then another entrepreneur asked me to go full time. So I went from having clients to then reporting to someone Tried that for eight months, decided I wanted to go back to multiple projects, multiple clients, not reporting to someone. How did you you have the confidence to make these major industry switches from Jerry
0: Springer now to working for a financial firm and you're putting on events for totally new
1: clients? I think in order to get better and in order to grow as a person, you just have to keep pushing yourself to take more and more risks and more and more challenges. Kristen Sherry came to me with something that I had never done before. I knew that I am good at reaching hard to reach people. When she asked me, Hey, can you help me reach some hard to reach people to endorse my book? Had I paired those two things together? No, but did I have the skills to do that? Yes. So I was like, let's do this.
2: I wanted to ask you a little bit more. You, you mentioned um, your strengths and um, StrengthsFinder is part of what Alexandra and I do in our practice. And I was curious, could you run through what those were again? You said communication, which other ones?
1: Yeah, my number one is woo. Woo is an acronym for winning others over. I didn't even know that. That's really cool. Woo, then activator, then communicator, positivity, and empathy.
2: I understand perfectly now why you were moving around like that. The empathy is about really feeling for people and and their situations. Activator is definitely a strength that makes people want to make things happen and start new things, try new things. I agree with Alexandra. That's a lot of confidence. Most people don't switch industries, which is one reason that your career path is so interesting.
1: You know, I'm going to give a couple people credit here. One, my dad, because one, we have a show together. I call him from all my business advice, but He has told me over and over, I did not work my entire life and slave my entire life for you to slave yourself to others. And that really stuck with me. He doesn't want me to be mistreated in any roles that I'm in. He was like, you don't have to be mistreated. A lot of people feel very trapped
2: in a role or in an industry and they feel like they have to take it when people treat them poorly and they don't. Your career path really shows that you don't have to do that.
1: I do think in my earlier years that I had a hard time really knowing that, but I do know that now.
2: And you credit your dad with that?
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, even recently, like even with clients, I mean, you're going to have some clients that don't treat you right. And again, he'll tell me that you don't have to put up with that. You don't have to be treated that way thinking about your intentions and your expectations going into a relationship, right? It has to be good for you too.
2: It's a really big concept to, to think about how you deserve to be treated and how you want to be treated and being intentional. For most people, when they start something, it's usually pretty good, right? And then sometimes it goes downhill and Maybe something that you wouldn't have accepted at the outset becomes something that you accept because now you're in it.
1: I've had to have difficult conversations with clients before. That is part of communicating, right? There's going to be disappointments. Not everything turns out the way that you'd hoped, but hopefully you can still deliver results that you're both proud of, and you can communicate those things truthfully and in a nice way.
2: Well, your communication strength is really going to help you there. People with communication are excellent with delivering messages, even hard messages.
1: I also want to give my husband some credit too, because if he weren't such a support system, I wouldn't be able to take the risks that I have either. He has steadily held down a good salary where I can be the risky one. you know, and if I didn't have him helping me with the kids or keeping a steady job, I wouldn't be able to podcast at night and take all of the clients that I have taken or bounce from job to job. He has been a rock.:
0: I couldn't agree more. It's definitely really important when you have you know people like that in your life that can help you also that will help maintain that steady job. And it, and it helps you take risks. That also brings us to what you're doing right now. You mentioned that you're podcasting at night and we would love to know a little bit more about that. And you're also running this marketing specialist business on the side between both of those jobs. Are you enjoying the work that you're doing now?
1: Totally enjoying being an entrepreneur, a podcaster, a mommy of four a wife, a coach, a community grower, a storytelling <laughs> junkie, all of those things. It all builds on each other. When you're constantly connecting and constantly growing, your resources also grow.
2: What would be one tip that you would offer to someone who's in a situation kind of like early in your career before you started making all of these changes and growing and
1: moving around in the field? We've all learned this during the pandemic is that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. I was such a workaholic. I never slowed down. And I do this weekly now. I unplug from Friday night to sometimes Sunday morning, and then your creative juices flow from that and you do get a supercharge. So if you can afford to unplug for a couple of hours, or if you can go on a walk and get outside and... Take a step back, journal, do something to get out of always being connected. I think that is something that the whole world needs. That's
2: a great idea. I really like that. Yeah, sometimes I feel like if you do
0: take a break, especially, you know, you have to be really innovative as an entrepreneur and you're constantly thinking of new ideas and how to improve upon current ideas. You do need to be really fresh and you don't want to burn out, you know, those creative skills. So I think that. Taking a solid break, like what you do, and just giving a couple days of time where you're not thinking about work. When you come back to it, it'll feel really fresh and exciting. You'll be motivated to work on it. So, you mentioned podcasting, though, and I do want to go back to that. Tell us a little bit about
1: your podcast. My dad has been begging me for years to do my own show. He's even now like, hey, we should do like a singing show. I'm like, dad you're on your own with that one. I am doing all the work on this one. And I've just collected people and stories for years that interest me. And so I was like, okay, I'm roping you in. I'm going to interview people. I'm going to share the stories with you. And then you can chime in with your wisdom
0: hopefully our listeners today will jump on over to your channel and check out your podcast. We've definitely heard a couple episodes and it's very interesting. It's very different from this show though.
1: I loved it. I thought it was a great show.
0: So Rena, what do you anticipate the future holds for you?
1: That's a great question. And I've been getting asked that more and more lately. I just want to continue to build bigger and bigger partnerships I feel like I have a small agency and I'd like to partner with bigger agencies where we can combine resources or where we can tackle bigger projects or where I can scale a little bit. Right now I have, you know, six interns, but I would eventually like to hire somebody that I could team up with and have a right hand.
0: Who are some of the big, you know, big people that you have in mind?
1: Who would I like to team up with?
0: Yes. Let's put it out there in the universe.
1: Well, I would like to interview Jerry Springer and take it back to my roots. I'm working on putting together a pitch for him. I would like to, I just reconnected with a guy who worked at Springer 19 years ago or 20 years ago. He he worked there literally right before me. And he's got, he's partnered with 30 brands right now and he's got 15 clients, maybe 20 And he was saying that, you know, he's doing it all alone and that we should team up. I would like to team up with people that do similar work and that are mission aligned, really care about their clients, want to help their clients reach that next level and make their podcast, get accepted into television, make it to the front cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. I want to do what I've been doing on a small scale, on a larger scale.
2: What is the best way for people to reach
1: you? LinkedIn is probably the best. Rena Friedman Watts. I'm also Rena Friedman Watts on Instagram. And my Twitter is just my name. Rena Rena.
2: Rena, thank you so much for being on this show. We've really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much, Rena. Thank you so much.
0: And that will do it for this week's episode of Pivot. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes, along with our contact information for Pivot Discovery. We provide career services and specialize in helping people make a change to reframe their future. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out about Pivot. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week with a brand new episode.